It is exactly 8.42 on Metro FM Talk. I'm Taming Gubeni sitting in tonight for Ayabonga Tawe. Under the microscope today, we focus on International Youth Day. Today is indeed the International Youth Day, and it is observed throughout the world as the day that gives an opportunity to celebrate and mainstream young people's voices, their actions, as well as their initiatives. It's also an opportunity for their meaningful, universal, and equitable engagement in global as well as domestic issues. This is something um, that the UN has said. This is according to them. And this year's theme is Youth Engagement for Global Action. To talk to us more on this as well as some of the challenges that young people are facing today, we're joined on the line by Shakira Maharaj, who's the Acting Project Lead at Youth Capital and Innovation Director at DG Murray Trust, as well as Wasim Karim the CEO of the National Youth Development Agency. A very good evening to you both and welcome. Good evening, Tommy. Thanks for having us. Perhaps let's start first with um, with, with you, Sh- Shakira. COVID-19 and young people, how have they been affected during this time? I think... COVID-19 has hit young people particularly hard, and we've seen that in some of the research that's recently come out. Um, The NIDS-CRAM data, which was recently in the media, showed that one out of every three people who had an income in February lost that income in April. And the data shows that young people, as well as women and black South Africans, were most hard hit by the effects of COVID and lockdown. Um, and that's in addition to issues around school dropout and learner disengagement that we expect to to be exacerbated by lockdown um, and household hunger and unmet health needs. So all in all, before COVID, um, in the first quarter uh, of this year, there were 8.5 million South Africans who were not in employment, education or training. And I would guess that the effects of COVID are going to drive this number up, unfortunately. And and Wasim, from your end, how has COVID-19 affected the work of the National Youth Development Agency? Uh, I'm sure you would know being on the front lines and interacting with young people who are enterprising. Yeah, thanks so much, Tammy. Um, and greetings to yourself and Ms. Maharaj and all the listeners. Um, I think, you know, um, everybody has been largely affected by COVID-19, but in terms of NYDA services, we largely had to pivot our work towards from funding startup and ideation businesses towards providing relief to youth on enterprises. And I mean, we have a very niche market of supporting township and rural enterprises. And when we set up a fund to support them, the amount of applications was just overwhelming, you know, um, close to 7,000 applications um, for really what was a small grant up to 10,000 rand to try and sustain youth micro-enterprises through the lockdown. Yeah, So it tells you the need out there. Um, in addition, face-to-face training is largely suspended, um, or if it's done, it's done in very small groups with social distancing. Um, and I think the one thing that really comes across is that as much as it's easier for the middle and the upper classes to move to online learning, uh, the high cost of data in South Africa really affects um, marginalized and vulnerable young people, you know. Um, the digital divide is massive. We have some of the highest data costs in the African continent. Um, we have some of the highest data costs in the world, you know. We see young people spending 
over a thousand rand a month on the cost of data. Um, and really addressing that issue has to be part of a post-COVID recovery plan. I mean, one last thing to just add is that, you know, the suspension of the skills development levy also has an impact on young people who are supported through internships and learnerships and just continues to increase that rate of non-employment education or training. You mentioned, Wasim, that you received around 7,000 applications. How many of those were you able to service? Yes, I mean, we, we, we put aside about 10 million rand for the project, and we, we've dispersed about funding to about 963 enterprises. Um, so, so you can kind of get a sense it's about 12 to 15% of the applications received are actually funded, and it's really a supply-demand issue, you know. Um, at the end of the day, we're also running out of money on our side, and the South Africa's physical situation does also play into the hands. Um, not that we can just sit back and do nothing, you know. Um, it's also important we continuously try and fundraise to, to increase the number of beneficiaries that we can support through the relief fund. Shakira, there has been a proposal for a basic income grant for unemployed young people. What are your thoughts on this particular proposition? I mean, I think the basic income grant really opens up a conversation around the need for uh, social security, given the fact that inequality is so entrenched in our society. Um, and, you know, Wasim was talking about the cost of data, and, and we've also found that the cost of looking for a job is over 600 rand per month for a young person. Um, and so talking about a basic income grant allows us to think about what kind of steps we could take to wrap support around a young person. Um, And I've noticed in some articles that there's been a discussion around particularly prioritizing the 18 to 24-year age group. And I think that really gives some recognition to the fact that when young people turn 18, they step out of a lot of support, including the child support grant, um, as well as the protection and the routine of school. So I I think it's a a positive step. Um, I do have some questions about the state's capacity to distribute a grant like that, given what we just experienced with the Social Relief of Distress Grant Um, and, of course, you know, where the financial resources would come from. But I I, I do think it's a a step in the the right direction of understanding what kind of support a young person would need. And and your thoughts, Wasim, do you think this is a a positive proposal? Would this be a a positive development for young people? Yes, I think I have a couple of thoughts on the matter. I think, you know, universal basic income is is something that would have arisen even before COVID-19. It was already being trialed um, in some European countries, Finland in particular. Um, And there was quite some... um, you know, uh, excitement when media reported South Africa was considering becoming the first country to implement a widespread um, universal basic income. I don't think international media realized how low it was being pitched there, yeah? um, probably around $16 a month. Yeah? Um, so the, the fact remains is that I think we need to understand why we're implementing a universal basic income. If it existed 350000 rand a month, it's not really a basic income, right? Because a basic income should give you access to living a good quality life yeah? um, if you're willing to work and you're unable to find work. And I don't think anybody can live a good, decent life on 350 rand a month. If it's pitched at that kind of amount, it's more like a basic package of support, something to carry you through while you have an additional hustle that can bring in income so that you can carry yourself through the month. In my view, young people need something that looks 
more like an employment guarantee, right? So if we look at unemployment in South Africa, it's structural and it's systematic. Um, on the one hand, we have a basic education system that doesn't produce the right skills that the economy needs. And on the other hand, we have an economy which is not growing fast enough to absorb the amount of labor that we're producing. Yeah? Acknowledging that those issues are structural and systematic and that they will take a long period of time to solve, I think the state has a bigger role to play if we want to take 8 million young people out of unemployment in a short space of time. And I think an employment guarantee is something that works better than a basic income because I think we can all agree that there's no shortage of work in South Africa, especially work that exists for the public good. And I don't think we necessarily need to lose a generation of young people to unemployment. Last point is to say, if we think about ourselves... Or, or let, me, or um, let me do this, Wasim. My apologies. Yeah. Can you park yeah, that yeah. last point for a moment as we go to a commercial yeah. and we'll be right back. It is exactly cool. 8.51. This is Metro FM Talk, talking about International Youth Day as well as how to perhaps solve uh, the youth unemployment problem. How do you better capacitate today's youth and position them to lead successful lives in the future but also to be able to survive in the present. We'll be right back. It is exactly 8.53. Our focus tonight under the microscope, International Youth Day with our guests, Shakira Maharaj and Wasim Karim. Wasim, just before the break, you were outlining some of the um, issues regarding the universal basic income or an income grant for unemployed young people. Yeah, so, so the last point I want to make is that you know, when, when you wake up in the morning, work gives you something that is difficult to quantify in monetary terms. It's called purpose, right? We all need some level of purpose in our lives. Yeah? But work also gives you access to networks, access to mentors that can help you improve your life and give you social mobility. Yeah? And that's why I tend to believe that an employment guarantee um, for young people in particular may work better than a universal basic income. And how would that work, that uh, employment guarantee? So, so let's think about something, right? Um, let's think about public schools in South Africa. We've got 26,000 public schools, yeah? Um, and the large majority of them, I'm sure you'll remember when you were at school, after-school programs played a big part in our lives, yeah? Um, you know, whether it was sports, whether it was arts, whether it's drama. Now, those after-school programs in public schools have largely gone away or disintegrated, yeah? and there's, there's various reasons for that that we won't go into in this conversation. But let's say you were to take young people doing work for other young people. You know, young people running after-school programs in sports, in arts, in culture, and you were to place 40 young people in each of the 26,000 public schools. Teachers' assistance, another potential role. Yeah? Um, you could potentially take 1 million young people just in the basic education system and give them a guarantee for an employment. And that employment is not tick box work. It's not just there to exist for for um, a cash transfer at the end of the month. It's meaningful work which makes uh, which makes sense for the public good. Yeah, um, and it would be pitched as something that looks like 20 hours a month, or four days a week, or four mornings, or four afternoons, and it would give young people the ability to be guaranteed work, irrespective of their skill set, irrespective of their background. It also gives young people bargaining power, right? Because if you know that you're guaranteed a job by the state that pays you at least minimum wage, um, it gives you much more opportunity to bargain in the private sector. And I think it would improve labor relations in the country in general.
those are those are kind of our thoughts on an employment guarantee. Quite innovative, and, and certainly looking interest, uh, being interested to see where those kind of discussions go. But back to you, Shakira. What type of propositions would you have for solving youth unemployment? Well, I mean, one of them is definitely um, a basic package of support, and maybe just to pick up on one Sim's um, comments. You know, the the idea of a, a job guarantee. Um, you know, a very out there one. There is a similar model being um, used in European countries already. And here in South Africa, um, we've been working with Saldry based at UCT to conceptualize what a basic package of support could look like and, and really recognizing, um, you know, that there are local organizations and services and perhaps really it's about supporting young people to create action plans and real referral pathways between those existing services. Um, so that's definitely one proposition because the the transition between education and work is a, a really rocky and non-linear one for young people. And many of them get stuck in that space between um, school or skills development and work. And so that's why we've seen, um, or partly why we've seen increasing rates of discouragement amongst young people. And I think another, sorry, Tommy. Go ahead, Shakira. Um, you know, another big point is is the beginning, is is the schooling system and the education system where we're seeing almost half of young people aren't making it through the trick. Um, and that's that's something we can really do something about and should have 10 years ago. So we've got to make sure that young people complete the qualifications they start. Um, and we can do that by making sure that they stay engaged with school or post-school learning um, research shows that something as simple as a nurturing, caring adult really makes a difference. Um, and then there is the issue of, of jobs in a contracting economy, which is a really difficult um, issue to think about. But, you know, we do have existing opportunities that we often overlook, and those include public employment, which we could really maximize to the benefit of young people and for social impact on the ground. Um, we have skills development uh, institutions and levies that we could leverage much better, for example, the CETA funds and the skills development levy. Um, and we really have to make sure that we maximize the potential of the informal sector. Well, Sam has mentioned a few times that young people are really active. You know, they often have side hustles. Um, just because they might not be formally employed doesn't mean they're not volunteering or active in the informal sector or doing something. And we've got to recognize and value that experience so that they can access the, the formal workplace as well. Now, as we close off for this evening, I'm literally giving both of you 30 seconds on the clock each. Wasim, what needs to happen post-COVID-19 in terms of youth? Yeah, so we, we've got to imagine a better future, yeah? Um, it's all good to look back and say we've made many mistakes, including my organization, um, from a policy perspective. But we've got to imagine a better future. And the, the one thing about COVID, with all of its challenges, it gives us the ability to imagine that better future, yeah? To forget all of the things we did in the past and to create better policies designed around young people. Um, I think we need to be thinking bigger than what we're doing at the moment. You know, I don't think we're that far away from something that looks like a four-day working week, you know, uh, or or cash transfers to people or employment guarantees. Um, so we need big ideas on the table, and we need a, a government willing to implement it. <laughs> Shakira, um, first, 
I think we have to figure out what the catch-up and wraparound strategy is for learners because many of them are going to get progressed next year and many of them are going to end up in second chance matric programs. So we have to figure out what is the real plan to catch up learners and students um, in the new academic year. We've got to learn from the inequalities that we've let run rampant. So we've got to, you know, we've got to keep the zero-rated sites for learning going. We've got to cut the cost of data, and we've got to address the structural issues like network coverage that stop learners from learning, even when we've addressed those things. Um, and then we've really got to reimagine public employment. In 2016, there were 350,000 young people in public employment. And imagine what we could do if they were all in meaningful. I, I cannot literally let you go. And I'm going to give you 15 seconds, Wasim, to answer this. There's been a perceived loss of confidence in the NYDA with many feeling that the board does not represent uh, the youth of South Africa, that it's very much slanted towards the African National Congress. What are your comments uh, towards this and what is going to be done to correct this? Yeah, so, uh, Tammy, I think you'll know that, you know, when the board is appointed, I'll become a member of that board and therefore it's inappropriate and it will be a conflict for me to comment on that process. Let me say this, though, is to say that I think a board would need to define what the NYT means to young people in South Africa. And what you had when you combined Umsum Bonfo and the National Youth Commission 10 years ago is you formed uh, really a mini-government for young people. NYD exists at way too many levels. It's a policy agency, it's a coordination agency, it's an advocacy agency, it's a research agency, it's an implementation agency. And the level of responsibility placed on it versus the release of budget to the organization don't match one another. So if government wants the NYDA to exist, I think it's really important that it defines its role. And one of the first things that needs to be tackled is the amendment of the NYDA Act. Um, and, And those are the discussions that I will have with the new board of directors. And we'll leave it at that for this evening as we close off International Youth Day. Thank you so much to both of you tonight. That's Shakira Maharaj, the acting project lead at Youth Capital and Innovation Director at DJ Murray Trust, and Wasim Karim, CEO of the National Youth Development Agency. And thank you so much to Cynthia, the man behind the jams, for giving us just that extra two minutes to talk NYDA issues uh, there with Karim. From myself and the team here at Metro FM Talk, you have yourself a splendid evening further. Uh, rest assured you're tuned in to exactly where you ought to be. The man behind the jams, he'll be serenading you until midnight. Good night.